Kids, why can't they be like we were, perfect in every way? What's the matter with kids today? Bye-bye, Bertie. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Vivian Faden. Dr. Faden is the Deputy Director of the Division of Epidemiology and Prevention Research at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, NIAAA in Bethesda, Maryland, and leader of the NIAAA Underage Drinking Research Initiative. She is co-editor of Underage Drinking, a developmental framework which has been published as a supplement to the May 2008 issue of Pediatrics and serves as the NIAAA liaison to the Office of the Surgeon General to develop and disseminate the call to action to prevent and reduce underage drinking. Today we're discussing consequences and prevention of underage drinking. Hi, Dr. Faden. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you for inviting me. At NIAAA, you've taken a developmental approach to the causes of underage drinking. Many of us are aware of the psychosocial antecedents, but we don't hear a lot about neuroanatomic correlates. What's been learned about the risks to the developing brain, to the nervous system, and to the effects and consequences of alcohol on the developing brain? Underage drinking, as you know, is a, is a pretty huge problem in the United States. And we not only have direct consequences from underage drinking, including 5,000 deaths, physical and sexual assaults, unwanted and unintended sexual activity, altered academic and vocational trajectories, but recently we've become extremely concerned about possible adverse effects on the developing brain. We now know that the brain develops all the way into a person's 20s, and we're very concerned about what drinking heavily, drinking and especially drinking heavily during the period of childhood and adolescence could do to that developing brain. Have animal models given us any insights? Animal models have given us most of the information that we have in this area. We've learned, for example, from animal research that binge-like drinking, which is the way kids tend to drink and want to drink because it's more exciting to them and involves greater risk-taking, which is sort of a hallmark of adolescence, we've learned that binge drinking will alter sensitivity to motor impairment and does damage frontal anterior cortical regions. We also know that if you do this time and time again, it can result in long-lasting neurophysiological changes in the cortex and hippocampus. Now, we do have a little bit of research that's been done in heavy drinking adolescents, and those studies showed that they had smaller hippocampi, much like the changes that were seen in animals, and that they had impairment on certain neuropsychological tests, including spatial processing and memory. What's important to know about those studies, though, is that they were done in a treatment population of adolescents. So these were very heavily involved adolescents. Do you think changes are reversible? They talk about neuroplasticity. What we've talked about coming from a developmental framework is that because the brain is developing so much over this period, it's a time of incredible plasticity. And so that represents opportunity as well as risk. And so, you know, where kids can learn things more easily during this period, we all think about foreign languages. We worry that maybe if you expose the brain to alcohol, somehow they're learning about that as well. The brain is somehow getting set up. Now, with these kids who we've studied with imaging techniques who showed these deficits, we don't know if their brains were like that before they entered the study. And we are very interested in knowing whether these differences resolve. We hope that the plasticity of the adolescent brain you know, provides a greater opportunity for it to restore itself. 
and we actually have just recently funded those same researchers to follow those adolescents further, so we should have some answers. Adolescence is obviously a very difficult period for a child. What is the effect of alcohol, or how does alcohol interfere with normal adolescent development? Well, we worry, as we just discussed, that adolescent can affect the development of the brain. There are also many psychosocial kinds of consequences. Drinking can interfere with doing what you're supposed to do. If you're drunk, you're not not going to do as well in school. If you're out partying, you're not studying. You're not engaging in more productive activities of adolescence. Interestingly, we've spoken to some young people who say that because they drank so much in adolescence, they were always drunk when they were interacting with peers. And so they really hadn't learned how to socialize in the absence of alcohol. So it can have profound effects on social and emotional development for kids. It abrogates, for many of them, they think it's the only way to have fun, and it's the major activity that they seek out. And so that means they're not doing other things. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Vivian Faden, Deputy Director of the Division of Epidemiology and Prevention Research at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. We're discussing consequences and prevention of underage drinking. During adolescence, if you can't learn to socialize unless you're under the influence of alcohol, does that lead to an attack of prevention? Have you thought about, you know, how are we going to take this and then target developmentally our prevention? The way we learned about this is from Corin Zelkus, who wrote the book Smashed, and she was actually present at the press conference where the Surgeon General announced his call to action, and she had said that this was her experience. You know, I think that what we take from it and use with kids is to let them know that, and not that we haven't tried it before, but we have to let them know and demonstrate for them that you can have fun without alcohol. We need to change our culture. We need to infiltrate the many, many places where they seem to learn that this is the way to have fun. They see it on TV. They see it in the movies. They've seen it since they were little. Okay, if we're going to change our culture, we're in the middle of a presidential campaign. If one of the candidates came to you and said, Dr. Faden, I have to make a speech tomorrow. I need a five-point plan to combat underage drinking. What would your advice be? Well, I would say to that person that, first of all, in the position that they're in, they are a cultural leader. And so they need to appeal to the population to change the culture, to not have adolescent drinking be a rite of passage that we more or less accept as normative and inevitable. I would also say that I think it's important that we need to take better care of our kids in general. We need to promote positive development. We need for all kids to have good experiences in school and at home, and they need to be in safe neighborhoods, and they need to have access to good health care. Those are more general global things that we need to do. I also would say that it's very important that we do more screening for risk, for actual drinking, for dependence in our young population. Screening is proactive. We're trying to prevent something. We're trying to get there before it starts, before it gets out of control. We've learned from studies that many of our messages have a greater impact on same-age kids who haven't started to drink than on those who have. I also think I would echo what the Surgeon General has said, that 
we all have a role to play in our society, every single one of us, and we need to provide the same information and the same message to youth that underage drinking is simply not acceptable, it's not good for them, and it could really alter the future course of their lives. And do you have to target that to the child's age? Well, of course you have a different message for each child, but this was the president talking to the population. And then the last thing I would say is that we we can't give up. We're not powerless to change this. It seems overwhelming and it seems like an intractable problem and that we've only made slow progress. But I think we can look at smoking as an example. It's not exactly the same, but the culture around smoking has changed dramatically in the last few decades. And I think that over time, we need to hope for that kind of a change around underage drinking. How do the two differ? It's an interesting point you made. There are some important similarities as well as important differences. You know, cigarettes can't be sold to people under 18, and alcohol can't be sold to people under 21. So both things are available. They're legal for adults or for people of certain age and illegal for others. And that makes it very different from illicit drugs. But... The message around tobacco, I think, has been less ambivalent. I think once we found a very strong connection between tobacco and lung cancer, no one is saying maybe a small amount of of smoking is okay. And, you know, we've even gotten into secondhand smoke. Now, with the alcohol, we still believe as a culture, you know, the U.S. dietary guidelines tell you that, you know, one drink a day for women and two drinks a day for men is all right. And we have actually found for older people some positive health effects Mm -hmm. from small amounts of alcohol consumption. So there's more of an ambivalent message, I think, around the alcohol. Treatment and prevention, deterrence, recently... In Illinois, where I'm from, and I believe when we spoke, you said you were aware of similar situations. Parents have been held responsible when children's drinking has led to injuries of others. Is this a valid approach? What's your opinion of this? I guess my initial opinion is that, sure, parents are always responsible for their children. However, I think that we need to be more organized in how we attack a problem And when we attack it, this reminds me of college campuses. When there's a death on campus, all of a sudden everything gets mobilized. It seems like there was an awful lot of mobilization around just a few parents with not sufficient thought about the ramifications for that intervention. And I think that's true for punishments for kids, too. We need to do things that are developmentally appropriate. And if we want to help children in general, you know, destroying a family by arresting the parents, the parents that in Virginia ended up getting divorced, the younger child dropped out of school. So basically the intervention we should have been designed to help the family and the child ended up destroying that family. Much of our audience are primary care physicians. What's the role, what's your advice to the primary care doctor in terms of steps they can take now in perhaps screening and or in the prevention of underage drinking? I think pediatricians have an incredibly important role to play. You know, a pediatrician is the healthcare person that a child is most likely to interact with. Pediatricians often have the luxury of seeing a child grow up. They're interacting with the family over time. I think that it would be really important for pediatricians to introduce the idea of alcohol and drinking and what kids think about it early on. This is an ongoing conversation, and this is true for parents as well. It's not an inoculation. It's not like, you know, one day we talk about alcohol, we say it's no good, and we're done. You know, we need to continually, as kids grow up, do things that are developmentally appropriate. So first we might 
ask some questions of young kids while the parents are in the room. You know, we might, I think it would be important for pediatricians if they can get the information to be aware of family background and genetics because we do know that there's a genetic component to having problems with alcohol. And I also know that pediatricians are being asked to do so many things, and of course it's, it's very complicated and there's limited amount of time. But I would make a plea, you know, that this drug is one that disrupts the lives of so many children and is the one that's most used and abused by our youth. And I think a pediatrician has an important role to play in letting children and their families, because I don't think parents are aware, you know, know what's happening around alcohol. So many parents are just unaware of what their kids are doing. I'd like to thank Dr. Vivian Faden, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing the consequences and prevention of underage drinking. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and enjoy our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.